Welcome to a special edition of the ACC Basketball Degenerates Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Neer. It is a guest episode. It's a phenomenal time to be alive as a college basketball enthusiast. Because we're receiving those early returns. Our sample sizes are growing and we're learning more and more as we head into December. Then I'm honored to have one of my favorite guests return to delve into the subject. Gus Kearns of the Screen to Screen Podcast. Go check out he and Randall and all the great guests that they have on. Uh, it's a phenomenal college basketball podcast. Subscribe and follow them on Twitter as well. He's a savant and the mid-major maestro. That's what I call him. That's a nickname I've coined, and he's here with me to compare notes. So, Gus, good evening. Great to have you. Good evening. Uh, honored with that intro, and may- maybe not the maestro, but we'll, you know, we'll try to say we're plugged in. How's that? Yeah, it was alliteration, which... Uh, led me to mid-major maestro. We're going to talk about mid-majors and low-majors for a good section of this chat, but let's start here. Is November basketball underrated? My colleague, uh, Mike Javi, who you know, and I were disagreeing on this a little bit because he says he hates the rollout for the first couple of days of the season, which I semi-agree with. The Champions Classic is getting a little stale with those four, but um, I'm too in love with destination tropical holiday tournaments to side with him on that one. Where do you stand on November basketball? I think it's intriguing, and I think the rollout is clunky, for lack of a better term. It could be streamlined a little bit better, but when you're having different conferences in charge of where they go and then different programs deciding on where they go, and then money determining on where some of those teams go, whether it be you know tropical-related or not, you're going to have that disjointness. So I, I, I look forward to all of the zany, wacky matchups, and the things that I enjoy – are when a team like North Carolina goes on the road to Charleston yeah. and they're in trouble, and then you have to really pay attention to a lineup like that in a game like that. So when we have opportunities that uh, are, are similar to that one with North Carolina and College of Charleston, then, yeah, sign me up. I'm down. Certainly. And uh, we've seen a few bumps in the road already from some of the big-time teams I guess the, the most glaring one would be Kansas. Uh, Dayton had some decent expectations, but they fell flat to start the year. But that was a, a pretty big upset if we're looking at early season returns. Um, I think this week that we're currently looking into, following the ACC Big Ten Challenge is one of the roughest stretches. And then the last week of December is a little bit tedious as well. Are you there with me? Yeah, I think once the students get off campus for break, then all bets are off. And I mean that literally and figuratively because – all of the student athletes are then out of their normal routine. The student athletes on the on both, you know, both the women's sure. and men's side for college hoops are aren't going to the exact same classes and schedules that they had during the fall semester. They're taking a winter class. Their practice may be at a different time. Their wake up may be at a different time. And plus, you don't have the same social interactions that you have during that winter break. So literally, anything can happen during that time frame for any college basketball team. And if we just go back and take a peek. There is an upset that happens every single winter break, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, uh, because the student athletes are that student athletes. They're not professionals yet, and they don't have that routine down. So when that routine is broken, guess what? Results change. Yeah. We're talking with Gus Kurtz, and we're talking college basketball here on the program. Let's get into what we've witnessed thus far. I want to ask you this. Is there a sense of order? through roughly one month of this college basketball season. That's what I'm always trying to determine, Gus. Which conferences are supreme? I think we know that for the most part. Which teams within those conferences are elite? That brings us uh, more times than not to the Final Four contenders, but that's only a microscopic fracture of the college basketball puzzle because fans, writers, and analysts such as yourself and 
me always are on the prowl for surprise teams, value, compelling storylines as well. So let's begin with the Power Fives and work our way down to the mid-majors and low-majors. After that backdrop, once again, are you sensing a year more prone to order or chaos? How about both? I think the order up top is really defined right now. If you're going to go bounce around the Power Five, and we conclude the Big East because the Big East is a basketball conference. Uh, yeah, I think the, the the order up top is very defined. I think Duke, results aside recently, uh, you can include in that top tier in your conference. There are a bunch of question marks after that. Are there good teams? Are there good programs? Are there NBA players? Yes. I think inside the Big Ten, we have the exact same illustration with Purdue. And then a couple of other teams like Indiana, Michigan, I don't know, Ohio State in there now? I'm not sure. So there's a little bit of chaos below yeah. Purdue. You can say the same thing in the Big 12 with Baylor. You can also say the same thing in the Pac-12 with UCLA. So I think we have those high-tier teams very much defined early on in the season. Gonzaga included in that as well. But after that, I think it gets pretty messy. And the results over winter break are really going to help tell that story. Okay, so who are we putting at the upper echelon? Last year, it was pretty defined as two teams, and the question mark was, who's going to join Gonzaga and Baylor? And we didn't really have an answer to that for a little while. You know, Houston toyed around with it, but it never came to fruition. Right now, right. here are my original Final Four picks. I'm sticking with them for now. Purdue, Gonzaga, Baylor, and Kansas. Would you care to add any more or subtract to that upper echelon? I think those four are included in every conversation. Completely accurate, Luke. So good work there. I think if you stray a little, I don't think it would be wrong if you want to include Kentucky into that. I think we're okay really? there. I do. And I think the parts that Kentucky has are really interesting. And I think Coach Cal decided to change the script a little bit. And I think he's enjoying coaching players that know what to do. And as opposed to coaching players into being NBA athletes. I know. I think that's a different mindset and a different approach. And I think he decided to do that because of what happened the year previous, which was absolute, you know, near disaster. Uh, I, I think we can also include Auburn into that conversation as well. If you're into that, like futures value, they might be a good value right now because they have NBA players on the floor. Jabari Smith is nasty. They're the a roller coaster ten. ride. I love watching Auburn this year. They they fly around the court. It's an adventure. Yeah. It's a turnover waiting to happen, but it's also uh, an alley-oop to Kessler or any of those high-fly players. It's really an adventure, Auburn, this year. They And they have another NBA player who's on the mend, you know, on stage left waiting to come back with Flanagan. So if he comes back and can integrate himself in time for March, then we're looking at another sneaky Final Four team there. And I think, of course, you have to include Villanova in that. I know their results have been a little bit flat, ordinary, maybe pedestrian, but I wouldn't be afraid to include them in that upper echelon and that high tier as well. You love Villanova, even dating back to last season. And yes. in stretches, especially against UCLA, I liked what they showed. I thought they actually should have won that game. You know, they were with Purdue, which uh, is saying a lot. The number one team in the country next week, trust me. I think after seeing what Purdue did to a very talented Maybe not mature yet, Florida State team, but very talented and well-coached, as we know with Leonard Hamilton. I think going back and reflecting upon a pack back upon that Villanova result with Purdue, it gets more interesting, and I think you give it a little bit more clout. 
Okay, let's go to low majors, all right? They're picking up the slack, and I think that's made it more difficult for a lot of Power 5 teams to cover large numbers in their non-conference portion of the schedule. Coppin State's a great example. A team who Virginia has played routinely and generally found a 25 to 30 point margin of victory. This year it went down into the teens. Coppin State took Cleveland State to the wire. They had a lead uh, at Bonaventure, uh, what was it, last night at halftime. And, you know, is this a factor of low majors competing at a higher level? Is that going to cause headaches, not only for us now, but in March when we're trying to assign value to teams and we're looking back at their resume? It completely is. And this is a direct result of, you know, the worst pandemic of our lifetimes, as, you know, another podcast host says, we, it's, it's real. If you're going to bring back super seniors, quote unquote, and there's that, that continuity, there's the minutes that you don't have to replace. And you're again, much like we talked about with coach Cal and his Kentucky team this year, you're not coaching your system. You're trying to tweak the system with the players that are returning that know it really well. I mean, you brought up a great example of Cobham state. I think a couple of other examples are the other side of that game. Bonnie's, they bring back their five starters. Kyle Lofton comes back. Uh, Ashuni is yep. one of the top defensive players in the country. You'd include Belmont in that continuity type uh, uh, returning. You can also include Colorado State in that. I think Colorado State is really highly valued in the Mountain West. Uh, David Roddy is an absolute joy to watch. So I think there's a bunch of those teams that are bringing back more players than they normally would. And that continuity is going to just, it, I think it's going to yield positive results the whole entire season. I don't think that's going to go away. I don't think that's like an early season trend. Yeah, other trends that I'm witnessing thus far. And if we look at our last three national champions, Baylor, top shooting team in the country last year per Ken Bomb. Virginia in 2019, their fulcrum, Guy, Jerome, Hunter could all shoot. And they didn't have a scoring big man with them on that team. Villanova in 2018 was run and gun, pace and space, shoot a bunch of threes. I'm not sensing that this year with our group of contenders. Yes, Purdue has some outstanding shooting if we're looking at Stefanovic, Ivy, and some of the other pieces on that team. But I'm witnessing more balance. Am I crazy there? Or are you seeing the same thing? I think the influence of the Big Ten and the stress on bigs that are inside the Big Ten is maybe like filtering out to the rest of college basketball where the value of the good two is coming back. And we saw that with Villanova teams in the past prior to that uh, 2018 championship team where they really valued strong twos, high mm-hmm. value, high, uh, high percentage twos and nail those and then work off of that. Now, this goes back to just getting good paint touches. If you're going to get good paint touches and you have a mismatch on the inside, obviously grab it. But I think maybe some of those kickouts we'll see less and less of. But I still think there's going to be teams that jack threes and those teams that jack threes at a high percentage and even just at a high volume are going to find success. And we can include Alabama into that. Yep. Right? You know you know, their Coach Oates is going to try to get as many threes up as possible. Win the so yeah. I, think, I think the balance – is going to help determine who's going to have success in March and who might, you know, find their way to that final four. Yeah, but if we're just comparing this year to last year, Gonzaga's way down at three-point shooting percentage. That's because they don't have Kispert, obviously. Duke has managed to drop as well in that category, which is shocking because they were terrible last year from the perimeter. Baylor's down because they lose Mitchell and Butler, and they were the top shooting team a year ago. Iowa's down, but uh, they're still going to make it rain. Nova's a little bit up. Houston's a little bit up. That's mainly because Sasser's the the main guy and not Jiro and Grimes. All right, we're talking with Gus Kearns on the program. Let's not go Power 5. Let's go to the A-10, all right? 
This is your specialty zone, and we're going to get into the Missouri Valley and maybe even uh, the WCC and MAAC. But is this finally the year that your adopted Richmond Spiders get over the hump and win (laughs) the league title? Were you a year off? Because last year you loved them. I think you were one year off. I'm beginning to believe, especially after watching the Bonnies last night, or just the Bonnies thus far, they can't hold themselves together for a complete game. Well, we know that the second half Bonnies just might be the sec, you know, the best team in the nation. Like if we just like can bottle them up from the second half, they're, except they're the Northern amazing. Iowa game, I'm still stung from that one. Thus, AJ Green. You cannot escape AJ Green. I know. So let, let's go back to Richmond though, and I think Richmond, you know, reflects back perfectly upon the continuity conversation that we're having earlier, where they're going to bring back all five starters. Uh, love, you know, w- we were lucky enough to talk with, to Jacob Gilliard on the podcast, and you know, within listening to this, you know, episode right here, he may have the NCAA steals record underneath his belt. However, that's not masking their overall defensive issues. They're going to score the ball with anybody. They can shoot the ball with anybody. Golden is great on the inside. He's one of these modern bigs that can pass it, shoot it a little bit, and then, of course, get a good paint touch there. And if their shooters around, Gilliard and Golden, can get healthy enough and shoot as well as they have in the past. Don't ask them to do anything Mm -hmm. different. Just revisit the numbers that they've produced from the past. And as long as Nick Sherrod can get back to the Nick Sherrod that we've seen in the past, uh, from past seasons, this team is definitely dangerous, not only to win the A-10, but I think also a threat to win a game or two in March because they're going to have that familiarity with the roster and with the coaching staff. Certainly. All right, that's a good look at the A-10. Any other teams besides, uh, say, Bonaventure and Richmond who you think could come out of nowhere in the A-10? I think it's not terrible to pay attention to st louis i think you might have written them off after last year (laughs) yeah after last year yeah because i mean they had one of the worst covid experiences of any program maybe besides vcu from your neck of the woods but uh they, they just couldn't finish a game they didn't have any flow and they also lost their best player preseason but so far out of the gate seven and one They're going to play great defense, defend you, and make you work for every possession. So if they can continue to do that with the efficiency they're doing on offense, they're also worth paying attention to. And I don't think after what we've seen with uh, Dayton, we can't leave them out of the conversation either. I'm telling you right now, Rashad Holmes, he's going to play in the league. He's real. He is a real freshman that is going to make an impact, and I think he's only going to get better throughout the season. And they have a bunch of 6'5 guys that just ball. So I think Dayton with Coach Grant, they're interesting in the A-10 as well. Yeah, I had them buried, and now they're rising <laughs> slowly from right. the ashes. Yes. It's so strange. I hate it when that happens because you want to be right, and then you have to adjust and morph. Let's go to the, the Missouri Valley. Is it still Loyola Chicago's crown? Without question. I think if you have one of the top defensive players, Williamson, on, on the wing, and they're still going to have those defensive principles that have made them really special the past couple of seasons, and you want to see – what coach Valentine brings in that's going to be completely new or different. And, you know, we can obviously play the same game with coach Davis with UNC, but because he was on the staff there and he's not going to change anything. I know they don't have Cameron Krupwick anymore. Who's very similar to Grant Golden from, from Richmond, but I think they're still going to have enough on the perimeter surrounding Williamson that they're going to be okay. Let's go to another conference of note. We're talking with Gus Kurds of the Screen the Screener podcast. It's college basketball talk galore. 
the WCC title race would be so much fun if Gonzaga did not exist, wouldn't it? You've so got true. you've got Tommy Cousy, one of my favorite players of St. Mary's, who's hopefully going to be back for year number seven next year. I'm not sure, but St. Mary's is completely different this year because they look so much better defensively. They're actually a top 15 defensive team per KenPalm.com. I love what I'm seeing from them thus far. The Dons also appear to be semi back if we're looking at San Francisco, and don't forget about BYU always lingering, and even Loyola Marymount has been pretty good. So uh, besides from Gonzaga, if we're looking at the WCC two three bid league, what are you thinking? How about three or four? Yeah. I always forget about BYU. You don't want to forget BYU and Alex Barcelo. That guy is a shot maker from all three levels. He might even have like some sort of weirdo fourth level that he can score Mm -hmm. from because all he does is get buckets. So I like BYU. You know that they're going to shoot the ball really well. We talked about where is the shooting. It exists there uh, with BYU. I think that's, that's legit. St. Mary's is always going to slow it down and they're going to make you earn every possession and they're going to keep themselves in every game. Are they going to score enough on the offensive end to actually win some of those games that they are keeping you in? We'll see. I love Koozie too. He is just, I mean, and, and the other question, if he does come back for the seventh year, is he going to be on scholarship or not? <laughs> I like, don't know. Is he going to be a walk-on status again? I don't know. Let's find a couple loopholes for him. That's all I'm asking, right? <laughs> and then I think you're right on with the Dons too. Mm-hmm. I think they're doing something interesting with Coach Golden. I think the way that they're playing, we've seen like snippets of it from last season. And I think we're seeing a fuller picture and those snippets are now more sustainable for this team. So if you're going to take a look at the Dons, I think, you know, I I don't know, like Shabazz is probably going to put up some good numbers that you're going to be like, wait, who is that? He's going to put up some Mm -hmm. good numbers as, as a junior. I think we can go ahead and, and include them in the conversation as well. And how about Loyola Marymount? Yeah. Why not? As well. Toss them in. yeah, I think Stan Johnson is doing okay things there, and they're gonna be they're gonna try to score and run up and down as well. Yeah. So I think you take Gonzaga out of that, and I It'd think be you so might much still fun. have three teams. We you would might. have a blast. Maybe we could send Gonzaga to be an independent so far because I mean they love scheduling these uh interesting, tough non conference tasks. So maybe we should uh look into that next year. Anyway, a couple more conferences to hit on. You're Mr. Mid-Major, so let's go to the MAAC, the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. Iona and Monmouth, I suspect, will be a nice little title race storyline to follow, right? I think Iona has already defined like part of their season, and we've seen that with the upset of Alabama. They did unbelievable things that you'll never see done to Alabama probably mm-hmm. the rest of the season. Rick they Petito's actually Batman. Got more shot, they got more shot attempts than Alabama did. They kept Alabama at a lower percentage from three-point land, and they slowed it down and ran them off the three-point line. And you're correct. Coach Patino put on like a master class for college basketball coaching in that matchup. So I think it's Iona, Tier, and then a couple more. Yeah, I think King Rice, we've seen this in the past, if you remember back maybe four or five seasons ago, mm-hmm. where they got off to a great start, had some good wins out on the West Coast over a UCLA team when Steve Alford was there. So it's not like he doesn't know how to do this. And another thing that he's doing is he's keeping a couple of the you know, local talent in state. So we have some of those guys that we're familiar with uh, on, on the Monmouth roster as well. But I think right now, I think you're going to go to the new Rochelle, check out Iona, check out yeah. Coach Patino, check out some of those transfers that he has in. And I think after that, 
they might actually be able to win a game as well. I want to see that program just pop. I want to see fans. I want to see enthusiasm. I want to start walking around Virginia, and I want to start seeing some IOTA jerseys or gear. Right, we're, we're seeing a few of them up north. Yeah, every once in a while when you're out and about and you you got you, you see that IOTA t-shirt, I'm like, Okay. That's, if it that's gets no down here, right that's when you know the time is cup. All right, guys, let's go to the Power Fives, the Big 12. If you had to pick a winner, who are you siding with? I would side with Baylor, no doubt. I'm with you, I too. Think, yeah. I liked Kansas heading into the year from what I've seen from Baylor. There's not been a significant drop-off. They still play hard as heck. Scott Drew is phenomenal at managing pieces. And I don't even think Flagler's been playing that well. So if he can kick into gear, then I think there's a whole nother ceiling for that team. Do we even need to discuss the Big Ten? Are we in agreement? Uh, Yeah, I think we have, I think we have Purdue and then a a number of other names behind Purdue. Yeah. And Michigan, goodness gracious. They've got some serious issues to tackle up in Ann Arbor. Okay. To the Atlantic Coast Conference, another easy one. It's a giving. And for the first time on my ballot, Gus, in 10 years, Mm. I selected the Duke Blue Devils to finish first in the league. For the first time on my ballot in 10 years, because they haven't won it since 2010. But I think they're just uh, too talented, too big. And when Williams is on the court, it's a huge problem. I'm surprised he hasn't been playing more. I don't know why Krzyzewski has gone with some of these other lineups. Maybe it's because of his conditioning. I don't really know, but it's Duke. And then from there on, I really don't know. It's toss your hands up. I I think you can make an argument for any one of these teams after Duke. And I'm with you that, you know, Paolo is that good. You know, Keels was incredible in his debut and has been really solid since. I mean, we've seen what Wendell Moore has done with triple doubles, and he's going to keep filling up the box score at a ridiculous rate. And you are spot on with Mark Williams. Don't be surprised if he ends up in the defensive player of the year conversations, not just inside your conference, Luke, but I think nationally as well. And I think he has the perfect backup in Theo John. Like Theo John isn't a losing fight to anybody. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think after Duke, you can include, you know, you can definitely include UVA. Will they score enough? I I don't. I love you, Gus. I love you. But I don't think it's a year. It is. It's, Ah. it's, it's, uh, it's a in-between rebuilding year. I'm just waiting for the class of 2022. It's right. one of the top things on my entire life uh, radar right now, the class of 2022. So all I'm about this year is developing players who will play alongside that quartet. But yeah, I don't know. I think they're right around sixth in the in the conference. I, okay, so we, we'll, we'll agree to disagree there. Okay, I, I hope you're you right. Was, I hope you're right. I, I think we'll, we'll look up and you'll be like, wait a second. How'd they sneak up into spot three or spot four? Um, UNC, are they going to guard enough? Uh, Florida State, are they going to mature enough? And then I think Virginia Tech can, you know, Coach Young continue to put those puzzle pieces together because he has lots of pieces from all over the place with Mutz and and, and Murphy and Alume. Like, so if he puts all those pieces together, they're going to be right in the mix too. So in my preseason, I went Duke, FSU, Virginia Tech, Virginia, right? Mm. That is what I did. I'm trying to remember. And uh, Louisville right behind, and then Carolina. If I could change things, I would probably drop Virginia down uh, a couple notches, but that's where we stand at the ACC. What else? The Big East, it's Villanova, let's face it. Uh, I had some high hopes for Seton Hall to make a little bit of a push, but you know that early think- win against Michigan doesn't look as, as good anymore. The luster has sort of dulled down. Yeah, I agree with you, but I still think that Seton Hall is interesting. They have size everywhere on the court. And they, they guard ferociously. Most- they have wings galore, and I'll tell you another little part. Bryce Aiken is kind of healthy. Is he going to have the same impact that he had at Harvard? No, 
But is he going to be a shot maker and maybe be one of those players that they can go to in a late shot clock situation? Yes, he's exactly that. Uh, and I think that another interesting team definitely has to be Xavier. They are still missing all Big East performer yeah. in Zach Fremantle. And I'll tell you another thing, that nudge, he the, the transfer from Iowa, he is going to put up big numbers, whether it be off the bench or in a starting role later on the season. And we know that Paul Scruggs is one of those like tough, um, you know, Big East guards that's not going to get pushed off of his spot. And I think the last team inside the Big East is definitely Providence. Yeah. There's, they've been sneaky good. And I think they're going to continue to be sneaky good. And then they're going to end up just being like, oh, wow, Providence is ranked now. They're really yeah, good at home, too. Happen. That's significant. Yeah. All right, finally, let's yeah. go out to the West Coast. I think it's USC and UCLA right now for me. Any disagreement there? I'm going to disagree and say that I would firmly, firmly put Arizona there. Really? And the, You're the sold. Reason I, I'm sold. The reason okay. I'm sold and the reason I'm buying in and I'm drinking a little bit of the, the Kool-Aid out there is Coach Tommy Lloyd from Gonzaga previously was the guy that went around and did all of that traveling to bring in all of those international stars, whether it be uh, Sabonis, whether it be Karnowski. And if you just take a look at the Arizona roster right now, it is like Tommy Lloyd designed it perfectly. We have players from the Ukraine. Canada, Cameroon, Mali, Sweden. This is right up his it's alley. It's the international roster. It's pretty yes. incredible if you look at it. And I'll tell you right now, they they have maybe two, maybe two and a half-ish NBA players on the roster on the wing. They got Dalen Terry that can do a number of different things and fill up the box score at 6'7". Uh, they have uh, Mathurin who can um, shoot the ball like crazy, big wing, 6'6"-ish. And then they uh, and then they have the Tubilis inside who can get some damage done on the inside at six ten. So all they need is somebody to take care of the ball, and I think they'll be okay. Finally, the SEC. I think we're in agreement about Kentucky. I cannot side with Rick Barnes in Tennessee. I know there's been a lot of hype. I know that everybody thinks they're the sexy team. I just can't do it, Gus. Uh, I don't know if you're with me or not. Florida's interesting. They are, uh, but they also have Mike White factor. And anybody who listens to my program knows uh, how many hairs I've torn out of my head watching uh, Florida teams in the past with Mike White. But anyway, yeah, that's my thought on the SEC. Uh, well, I think we can include Auburn and uh, I keep forgetting Alabama. about Auburn. Yeah, maybe because Auburn's so much fun, I I forget that they actually might turn into something. I don't think they're going to win the league, but watch out for them in, in March. That's my thought on Auburn. I, it's going to take I some agree. time. And I think the uh, putting the ownership on Jabari Smith, uh, giving him further responsibility on both the offensive and the defensive end, uh, will you know result in maybe a loss here or there in the conference, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. But then when they can put it together and they add Flanagan to that uh, equation, then they're really dangerous. And we've seen what Alabama did last year. Uh, in March with their results. I mean, they they were, you know, I know that they they very easily could have been a Final Four team last year as well and were one step away from that. Yeah, so especially that I would include game. those mm -hmm. two in that upper tier with Kentucky for sure. All right, let's wrap up with my favorite segment. Gus Kurds is my guest at the Screen the Scooter podcast. I, I, I could go for another hour, but he has obligations. I have obligations. Overvalued, undervalued. Why do I love this, Gus? I like this more than picking games against the spread because it helps give listeners, and myself included, themes to draw upon. So I'm going to start with my undervalued teams thus far. I'm going to give you one off-the-beaten trail team and one that everybody knows. 
Tarleton State. I enjoy their grind. And I really hope that nobody watched that Gonzaga-Tarleton State game because the, the cat might have gotten out of the bag a little bit. But they are going to play slow, and they're going to guard, and they are going to attack. And they run their stuff so hard, the dribble handoff. So that's number one for me. Without question. I think if you are going to slow down the best offensive team, quote-unquote, in the nation, and a team that thrives on running and getting open shots yep. for their bigs and for their wings, and you're going to slow them down, it's time to pay attention to them for sure. And, by the way, not only did they slow it down, they were pretty efficient on the offensive end They were, end they were scoring, too. and they're 1-6. Yeah. Everyone's going to look at that and say, oh, they're 1-6. Uh, no, 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 no. Look who they've played very it, it's the, tightly. It's it's the Texas Southern uh, 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 phenomenon where they're 0-12, and, and then, boom, they run through their conference. And exactly. They make the tournament. It's going to be the exact same thing. I know. All right, so the bigger tier team, the Power 5 team, I'm going to mention who I think is still undervalued, is LSU. Now, I hate to give the devil his due at Will Wade, but, man, this team, they've got some talent. Efton Reed is a real guy, and he looks more mature than I expected him to be in year number one. And they've got athletes all over the floor. They haven't seemed to have missed too much of a beat without Cam Thomas, who could score about six to seven points before you could say ooey-pooey, right? But it seems as if they plugged in and sort of developed a new identity, which is still physical, which is still athletic, but not as much reliant on the heat check for the perimeter. Yeah, and when, when you mentioned the heat check and the scoring they lost last year, all you have to do is look at Cam Thomas. He's having a huge impact off the Nets bench, and you you know, you know include Wofford, and I think uh, Javon Smart was part yep. of that. All of those guys averaged well over 15 points a game. But if you look at what they're doing now, I kind of like Pinson at the point guard. I liked him at Missouri. I think he's slippery. I think he has a good change of gears. And I think he plays a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. So I like him running the show. And then if you take a peek, guess what? They're still going to jack some threes. They're still going to put some things up. So I think that, like you said, give the devil his due. They might be an issue all year inside the conference. And then if they get to March, their style of play is also going to be an issue, not dissimilar from Alabama. So yeah, I like that they have that lead guard that's been through it a little bit and knows that like, mm, okay. I have some people to spread it to here. Let's do that. All right, my overvalueds are Iowa, if we're looking at a Power 5 team, and this is going to break a lot of people's heart out there, but Belmont, I still I don't think they're right, and they're a public team, and thus far, I, I just haven't seen it. But I want to hear your overvalued and undervalued teams off the top of your head. I did not give you prep time for this, but go ahead and shoot. Uh, I'm going to go, I'll do the same recipe that you did, Luke, if that's okay. I'll go small school, undervalued. I think UAB, uh, University of Alabama, Birmingham, completely undervalued. They could absolutely win a Conference USA regular season or the tournament. I think they could make the uh, Sweet 16. I really do. Yeah. I, a Coach Kennedy has been there, done that before. There's not going to be anything that's going to be thrown at him during the season that he hasn't dealt with on a higher level. They have two of the best defensive players in the country in Quan Jackson and Trey Jemison. Uh, they have uh, K.J. Buffin, who's a high-level transfer from uh, uh, from Old Miss. So they have pieces there in place. So I'm kind of intrigued by them, and I think they have real college basketball talent on that team. So I'm going to say, even though if you look at their record, they might be 5-2 and two or 5-3 and three right now, I think come Conference USA time, they might start get rolling. And I think one of their undervalued teams that might be uh, in one of the Power Fives 
it's got to be Ohio State now, right? Kind of has to be. I think be. so. And it, I mean, not only did they do this, they have this win, this this, this monumental win, court storming win. They did it without a double digit scorer, Justin Suing, who's really somebody that they run a that lot surprised of offense me. through. I thought it was just going to be the one man show, and that's why I actually picked Duke to win that game because I thought Liddell was just going to get uh, swamped right. by the Duke bigs, but that didn't turn out to be the case. So I, they surprised me in that game for sure. And I think if you're going to maybe include one other team there, and we're going to find out a lot about them in the next ten days. Texas Tech. Let's see what they decide to do when they play Providence, Tennessee, and Gonzaga later on in our schedule. The next three of their next four games include those ranked teams. So let's see how they look after that, and they might be one of those undervalued teams as well. Gus, I could do this all day, as I just mentioned. Tell us what's happening at Screed the Screeder. Unfortunately, our time is up, but we want to follow along with your content on the reg. So plug what's happening at the podcast and how we follow along. Oh, perfect. Uh, if, if you really enjoy college basketball content, we're working hard to give you everything you need. So please give us a follow over on Twitter at SDS podcast, efficiency of keystrokes, of course. And then, you know, on any of your listening podcast consumption vehicles, just go ahead and punch and screen the screener. We'll pop right up. And what we've been doing is trying to bring on great guests, really focus on a certain topic and then really dive into that topic. So we've had great guests on from that are going to break down whether it be Belmont, whether it be Louisville, whether it be Purdue. So uh, we even had, uh, we were lucky enough to have Jared Wolburn on, who is a senior guard on the Purdue roster, and he broke Love down it. practice for us. So if you want to go back and listen to one uh, podcast of ours, go ahead and find that one. Jared was incredible and really gave us some insight on what makes Purdue that great. They're evergreen podcasts, so go back and listen. You will learn. Gus, enjoyed it. We'll have to check in in the mid-season and uh, as we head towards March. Gus, this is awesome. Thanks for coming on. Luke, thank you so much. Totally appreciate it. Yes, indeed. So long for this segment. We'll be back shortly with more content, folks.